Welcome to Shouts of Grace Radio with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. At Shouts of Grace Radio, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Today's message is titled, Come Home, and Pastor Steve begins by reviewing the biblical account of Joshua and Caleb and their zeal to take possession of Canaan in Numbers 13. So grab your Bible, friend. And let's begin. There's something about this life that makes it hard to prioritize eternity. We love God. We're for the Lord. We've given our lives to him. But that doesn't mean that eternity always has top priority. And there's something, there's an attraction in this world. There's something that's happening that is taking place where Christians are having a very difficult time to prioritize the Lord and to prioritize eternity. And so um, over the last couple of weeks, you guys, I've been looking a lot at this and in my own personal life. And, and then I started looking into the Bible as to many people who lost sight of this along the way in their lifetime. And that means that they started off really well and they did good and they shot out like a cannon, but something happened in the place between when they start and when they finish that pushed them off course and they didn't end well. And as I was thinking about this, I thought to myself, man, I don't want to be that. I don't, I don't, I don't want to have, have, a, have a former years where I'm productive in the Lord and I'm fruitful and then my latter years are not. I, I don't want to get to the end and, and find out that, man, you sure took off well, but your landing was really rough, you know? I want to, I, I want to have this heart, you guys, that Caleb had. You remember Caleb, right? In the, in the beginning, when, when all of them went out to the, to the borders and they looked at the promised land and, and Caleb and Joshua were like, yes, we can do this. This is our land. God has given it to us. And some others were like, 10 others were like, no, we can't, right? Well, Caleb had this heart at 40 years old. He was 40 years old during that time. And his heart was, man, let's go do this. God is with us. He had this incredible faith. Well, what ends up happening is they go through the wilderness. So when he ends up now at 85 years old, we would think that, okay, man, you've been through a lot. You know, maybe your, your faith quite, quite isn't as much. I want you to listen to this man at 85 years old in Numbers 13 or Numbers 14, verse 10. Now, as Joshua is standing there giving out inheritance to the people, Caleb steps forward and it's his turn. He says, now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as he promised, these 45 years since Moses made his promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I'm 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on the journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. Now, practically speaking, let's be honest. You guys know, right? I mean, if you're 30 and then you're, you've lived 20 years and you're 50 and you wake up, your body hurts, right? You, you can't move as well. You break down. And so practically speaking, was the 85-year-old Caleb as strong and ripped and ready to go as the 40-year-old? The answer is no. He's speaking of different terms. He's saying, look, I'm as strong today to fight the enemy as I was 40 years ago because how I was going to fight him 40 years ago is the same way I'm going to fight him today. I'm going to fight him by faith in the Son of God, right? I'm going to fight him by faith in God. So that part hasn't changed. And so he says, I'm still strong. And then he says this, so give me the hill country that the Lord promised me 
You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns, but, in, but if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord had said. So that's what he's saying is, look, my faith part, I may not bodily be okay, but my faith part is just as strong, you guys. There are a lot of lives that we can look at that reflect this morning the illustration. They started well and they didn't end well. Great people of God. But what I want to do is I want to narrow it down to three because I think these three lives will demonstrate the point. And and what I want to do is I want to look at each of these three. I want to look at how their faith started and see where they were. And then I want us to look at how the three finished Right, And finally, I want to see if we can discover what went wrong because there's a common denominator in these three that I think God wants all of us to be aware of. So turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 26 if you have a Bible. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Here we're, in, we're in, introduced to the second longest reigning king in Judah. You remember Judah was the south of Israel and Israel as referred to were 10 tribes in the north. So here we're, we're introduced to Uzziah. Uzziah reigned 52 years, second longest reigning king. He was 16 years old when he began his reign and 2 Chronicles 24, 26 verse 4 says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So this was a good king and he surrendered rendered his walk is to the Lord. 2 Chronicles 26.5 says he set himself to seek God. So here was a young 16-year-old. And by the way, 16-year-olds or 17-year-olds or young people, you may not be able to be a king, <laughs> but you can set yourself to seek the Lord. Okay, so this young man set himself to seek God and he was instructed in the fear of the Lord. And we're told at the end of verse 5 that as long as he sought the Lord, God would be with him. That's important because there's a truth that you're going to see wind through all these three lives. As long as you're with me, I will be with you. But if you reject me, I will leave you. Okay, this is true in the Old Testament. And God, you guys, was indeed with him. We're told that this king made war with the Philistines and the Arabians, and he took territory, and then he built cities where the enemy lived. And I love the picture of that, right? When somebody's being moved by God, they actually take ground from the enemy, and they build in the place where the enemy erected his, his nonsense and his, his you know, just his... his debauchery, they build something for the Lord there. And so this is what this king did. And he was a godly man. And all the people, the Ammonites paid tribute to him. In other words, all the enemies were subdued by him because of his faith in the Lord. We're told this man had incredible ingenuity, that he made war machines that that shot multiple arrows, and they would put them on the corners of the pillars, and they would be able to kill their enemy. Everybody was afraid of him. Uzziah was loved by God He loved God, he sought God's face, he was successful, he was rich, and he was mighty, and he turned the nation around by doing things that honored the Lord. The next person is Solomon. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. When King David died, Solomon, his son, took over, and we're told in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3, that Solomon loved the Lord, and he walked in his statutes. He loved the Lord. His heart was given over. We are told that Solomon was extremely humble, right? He was so humble, you guys, that when he expressed himself to the Lord, you could hear the humility, 
right? I want you to listen to the words of Solomon, 1 Kings 3, 7, as he, as he pours his heart out to God. Oh, he says, and now, O oh Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. He's a grown man. He's not a child, but I want you to see how he's presenting himself to God and how he's carrying himself. Verse 8, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern these people. Solomon was small in his own mind. He wasn't grand. He didn't look at himself as some, some king. He looked at himself as a little boy who had no experience about anything, right? Though he, he, he wanted wisdom, God gave it to him. But in his mind, he was tiny, so tiny that he would take on one of the greatest feats of any king. He would build a temple for the Lord. He would take the tabernacle and transition transition it into the temple. And when that temple was being dedicated, lest you think Solomon thought he was a little bit more grander in, 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 in his own eyes, I want you to listen to his closeness to the Lord reflected in his prayer in 1 Kings 8.22. Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands towards heaven, and he said, O Lord God of Israel, there's no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenants and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. He'll go on to offer this deep prayer as he kneels before the altar and he sacrifices 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. He was dedicated to God. His life was surrendered. God responds to Solomon's prayer in 1 Kings 9, 4, and he says, if you walk before me, and you keep my statutes, I'll establish, establish you. In other words, I'm with you if you're with me. Solomon loved God. He was humble, and he was small in his own eyes. He had an amazing start, you guys. Finally, there's Asa. Turn to Second Chronicles 14. Asa was an amazing king, a great king. There are few like him. In Second Chronicles 14, 2, says, and Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places. He broke down the pillars and he cut down the Asherim and commanded Judah to seek the Lord for the God of their fathers and to keep the law and the commandments. In other words, this guy demanded a revival. <laughs> he was like, we're all seeking the Lord. And if you don't like it, then you're in trouble right? It was imposed morality, but whatever. You know, the point is he had his own personal convictions as a leader, and he was pushing his convictions that were good and right in the eyes of the Lord on the people he was leading. God, we need leaders like that, don't we? We need leaders like that in government, people that will lead according to the Lord and not be afraid to have those convictions let outwardly where everyone can see them instead of fearing men. Well, this was Asa. We're told in 2 Chronicles 14, 11, that when this Ethiopian king came to Asa's army, he had a million-man force. And do you know what Asa did with less than half the people? He fell on his face before God, and he said, God, look at what's in front of us. We trust you. Man can't do anything to us if you're for us and you're for us, so take care of this. And God wiped out a million-man army twice as much as Asa had. He trusted in the Lord. This is what he says in 2 Chronicles 14, 11. 
Asa cried to God, O Lord, there's none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, Lord, our God. We rely on you. And in your name, we've come against this multitude. O Lord, you're our God. Let not man prevail against you. He trusted the Lord. You guys, he relied on God. And when he was approached by a prophet in 2 Chronicles 15, 2, he was told this, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he'll be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And as a result of that encounter, Asa cleaned up the land spiritually. You guys, he was so zealous for purity. 2 Chronicles 15, 16 says he booted his own mom off the throne. Like the queen mother, he was like, well, she's an idol worshiper, she's out. Right? No family, you know, no nepotism. It was just, no, she doesn't worship God. She can't be there. We're told in 2 Chronicles 15, 17 that Asa's heart was wholly wholly turned towards God. Three men, you guys, on fire for the Lord in the beginning. God was with them. They loved the Lord. They sought the Lord. They honored and they obeyed him. Well, how did their lives conclude? Right? Did they finish well? Did they finish the way they started? Were they on fire? Were they a Caleb that was, you know, 45 years later at the end of their reign, they can say as they did at the beginning, God is with me, I'm with him. How did it end? Well, let's look at Uzziah, the king who reigned at 16 years old, who was 52 years on the throne, and he set himself to seek God. What happened, you guys, in his latter years? 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16. When Asa grew strong, he grew proud to his own destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord, Uzziah, I'm sorry, his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense, which he wasn't supposed to do. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests. So this was like a bum rush, like 80, you know, yoke priests come in. What are you doing here? You know, get out. And this is what they say with 80 priests. They were men of valor and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of this sanctuary for you have done wrong and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. At which point you would think Uzziah would say, man, my bad, I totally crossed the line. And Uzziah says in verse 19, it says he was angry. He was angry at them. How how dare you confront me? Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him and listened. And King Uzziah was a leper till the day of his death, And being a leopard, he lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of God. Uzziah was a great king. He was a king who reigned second longest in Israel. He did so much good. But it would seem that the longer that he walked with the Lord, he grew stronger and prouder in his destruction, not lower. He he wasn't looking at himself properly. He was looking at himself as more than what he really was. So much so that that the detriment would be you're going to live by yourself in your final years. You're going to be taken from from the privilege of leading people and you're going to live in a house all by yourself because why? Because of your pride. You didn't grow closer to God with time. You grew more proud. Well, what about Solomon? 1 Kings 11.4. 
For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as his father David had done. And he goes on to say in verse 8 that he erected altars for all of his wives to worship all of the foreign gods. You guys, Solomon loves the Lord. He was the wisest person that ever walked the earth, but it would seem that the longer that he walked with God, his heart was pulled further away in the opposite direction. It would seem that the staying power of his commitment to God, I will walk with you, wasn't as strong as he thought the older that he got. And then there's Asa. Asa trusted the Lord. He was wholly turned towards the Lord. He seeked God in the beginning for every decision. He was given victory over, over other nations. Well, how did his later days pan out? Second Chronicles 16.1. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, the king of Israel, went up against Judah. So this king came against Asa, and he built Ramah that he might permit no one to come or go out to Asa, the king of Judah. So the king of the north comes down of Israel. He builds in this city Ramah, and he builds a blockade. And he says, nobody's going into Judah and Asa. I'm going to isolate them. So what did Asa do? Well, of course, what he did 35 years earlier, right? He fell on his face before God, and he said, God, look at this. Please help us. Verse 2, Asa took silver and gold from the treasures in the house of the Lord and the king's house, and he sent them to Benadad, the king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, there's a covenant between me and you, and there is, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I'm sending you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with the king of Israel that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Ejon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Baash heard of it, he stopped building Ramah, and he let the work cease. Then King Asa took all of Judah, and they carried away the sons of Ramah. Great, it worked. The, the army came against you, you got help, and, and it worked, and now you get to take their spoil. Great diplomacy as you took on the help of the king of Syria. Verse 7, at that time, Hanani, the seer or prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, said to him, because you've relied on the king of Syria and you did not rely on the Lord, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. In other words, Asa, dude, God didn't just want to save you from the king of Israel. He wanted to give you Syria as well. And you went and you made an alliance with an enemy that God was going to give to you. And then he says this, were not the Ethiopians and Libyans a huge army with very much chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. You have done foolishly in this, for now you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer, and he put him in prison, for he was enraged with him because of this. And Asa afflicted cruelties upon some of the people in the same, at the same time. In other words, here's a guy that told him, what does he do? Does he humble himself before God like he did 35 years earlier? Does he fall on his face? No. He throws the guy in prison. I don't like what you said. Get out of here. And not only does that, does he do that, but then he turns and does the very opposite of what he did 35 years ago, and he turns and he wreaks havoc on the people that he's supposed to be leading. 
He started off so well. And to just add injury to insult or insult to injury, verse 11, the acts of Asa from the first to the last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but he sought help from the physician. You guys, three men that started off well, but they ended poorly. And there's more. You can look at King David. And you can look at his passion and faith in his earlier years and the cloud of adultery and murder that hung over him in his latter years, right? You can look at a king called Jehoshaphat, whose father was Asa, by the way, great king. Second Chronicles 17, 6 says his heart was courageous towards the Lord. But in his latter years, he teams up with who? Ahab, the king of Israel. Ahab's the worst king that ever lived. His wife was like a wreck, Jezebel. You probably heard of her, right? So he teams up with him, an alliance that ended up being a train wreck. And after Ahab dies in battle, a prophet comes to Jehoshaphat. Listen to what he says in 2 Chronicles 19.2. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because you've done this, wrath has come out against you from the Lord. And so, you guys, we find this disturbing reality that many godly people started with their hearts on fire for the Lord, but ended with embers at best nothing there, just a slight glow. Why? What happened to them? You guys, in each of these examples, we looked at each of these men, and they were told that God is with you as long as you are with him. I want to suggest to you that grace does not erase that, okay? Grace and mercy don't erase that. The idea that the New Testament says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When it comes to the security of what God has done in saving your soul, that is true, okay? God will not leave you because he saved you through the perfect representation and blood of Christ. That goes nowhere. But it is of the most vain experiences when people think that they can thumb their nose at God and they can live their life as a believer contrary to what God says, and then God will just favor them. Like, the Bible doesn't teach that, right? The Bible doesn't teach that the wages of sin is blessing. It says that the wages of sin is death and ruin and destruction, even on this side of the cross. If we choose a life apart from Christ as believers, we're going to suffer greatly for that. That doesn't go away. And so don't be misled with a bad theology that says, oh, man, I just, I'm, just, I'm just bringing some grace. Really? Is that what Romans 6 says? Shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? How can we which are dead to sin live in it any longer? Don't you know that you're a slave to whoever you present yourself to, whether obedience to righteousness or slave or, or sin to ruin and, 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 and captivity? That doesn't go away. You guys, in each of these examples their hearts were lifted up against the Lord. Maturity for them wasn't that they got closer to God. It was that they couldn't handle the blessings. They couldn't handle the success. They couldn't handle the pats on the back from people. Oh, that's amazing. And so what happens? Their hearts grew harder and colder towards the Lord. And believers are not immune to this. I have seen this happen where people start out on their knees and a little accolades from men and a little pats on the back and hallelujahs and that head blows up and that is a danger, a huge danger. They were responsible to keep their heart low. Folks, these hearts will run away from God, naturally run away from the Lord. If we don't check them, we'll wake up one day in our latter days and we'll ask ourselves, what happened? Why am I here? 
we need to constantly rededicate our lives to the Lord, don't we? We need to constantly bring ourselves back to the cross, back to the place. It doesn't matter how old you are. You are in need of God, deeply in need of Him daily. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace Radio with Pastor Steve Pearson. We hope you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If you've been encouraged in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at ShoutsOfGraceRadio.com. At ShoutsOfGraceRadio.com, you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. We invite you to attend our Sunday morning gatherings, and for location, sermon times, and contact information, check us out at rhutah.church. Thank you again for joining us on today's show. And from all of us here at Shouts of Grace, it's our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Shouts of Grace is a production of Key Radio.